Hello again, everybody. Tom Oglesby in the FM 98.3 KCRD Studios. This is The Chatter. We've got Brad Miller, we've got Brad Markham, and of course, Colleen, you're here again for episode number 33. Do you believe this? Love it. Recording on Monday, March 7th in the year of our Lord, 2002. 2022. 22. There I was time warp there for a moment. <laughs> Let's begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, that, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in my mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just to clarify that, it is the year 2022 here. We lost 22 years, 20 years. I can't even do the math. Look at that. It's in the water. And here we are, the first Monday of Lent. Yeah, how's everyone's Lent going? You know, I like it. This is my favorite uh, season. Why? Uh, it matches my personality. Which is what? Uh, Lenty. I mean, it's, huh. I don't know, I, I find it to be joyful. I, I think, uh, um, well, I hadn't thought of it in this terms, but last evening I was at Father Richard Simon's um, masterful presentation over at St. Mary in East Dubuque, Illinois. So this would have been the uh, 6th of March that I watched him, but he said something. It took, took him a while because he's such a storyteller, but uh, three quarters of the way through there, he, I am the vine and you are uh, the branches. And he said, God the Father is the vine dresser. And how did he say it, Colleen? God gives to us by what he takes away from us. Mm-hmm. We tend to think that God gives us what we want, but he takes away from us and he says that he thinks uh, that at the moment of our death you know that is what we are our sum total and uh, you know we decide where we're going and he wants to talk tonight I don't know if I'll get to see him tonight but I mean he just said it so so well God the vine dresser by pruning away the things of our life is that's a gift. Mm-hmm. He had a beautiful analogy of vines, uh, grapevines that used to grow up the big trees in his backyard, trees, yeah. and he thought they were beautiful. And then uh, when he was about 10 or 11, he went out to visit his sister in um, Napa. wine country, yeah. California, and they drove by all these vineyards, and he said they were the ugliest-looking vines I've ever seen. Um, and his brother-in-law said to him, well, that's because they have to prune them back to get better grapes. Yeah, we're not growing leaves, we're growing grapes. And I thought that was a great a great analogy because we've all seen those vines go up the trees and you think, oh, that's so pretty, but it is, is it bearing fruit? Exactly. It makes you think of, or makes me think of Mother Teresa and how I believe early in her life she had an apparition. Jesus appeared to her and I don't remember what he said, but... That was it. She had one, and then from then on, it was spiritual dryness for, and this was in the 40s that this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's the beauty of Lent is its simplicity. Mm-hmm. Cut out all of the uh, extras. 
you know, I might not eat as much. I might not eat, eat as often. I might not mm-hmm. just cause me to stop, pause, and mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. Um, less is more. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a nice way to talk about detachment in a way that didn't use the word detachment. Mm-hmm. But when he prunes things away, it is letting us, um, you know, be open to detachment from people, from things, uh, from food. And that's always a good thing, right? We just want God alone. It's amazing how that man can get you to think with his style and his delivery, which is, uh, he's a great storyteller, and uh, all great teachers are storytellers, aren't they, Miller? Yeah, Jesus, the first one, Mm -hmm. all the parables. Yeah, exactly. Very good. So how's your Lent going, Miller? You look... Not too bad. I mean... you You look satiated cruising through it I, I, I probably need to to ratchet it down more i have yeah. a habit of doing that as lent goes on i'll do tougher and tougher stuff colleen and i talked about that which was some of the beauty of the uh of the old rite of uh septima jasima sextima jasima quinquima jasima getting getting ramped up to ramp down um mm. uh, I think there's some wisdom to that. I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. Of get ready, get ready, think about it. I just heard someone say on Ash Wednesday, "Oh, I don't know what I'm doing." Is it Ash Wednesday already? But see, when we don't have like a countdown to Lent, right? Everything else takes um, our attention, and before we know it, it's Lent, and we go, "Oh my goodness, I better think of something." I do have to say, on the topic of Ash Wednesday, everyone that I have heard from has said wherever they went to church, it was full. Yeah, I, I concur. Yeah, we saw that. So what is it about? Is it because they get ashes? Benedict Groeschel, Father uh, Groeschel, used to say when he was in New York that the uh, Protestants, the Jews, the uh, atheists would uh, would come to St. Patrick Cathedral just to get ashes just... because they understood something about a penitential season. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Uh, I was listening to someone on Relevant Radio. I, I can't remember who it was, but they said, I don't, it was a priest. He said, I don't understand why churches are full on Ash Wednesday. Because what do people hear when they come on Ash Wednesday? You're dust and you're going to die. Yes. And why is that attractive to people? Because I think we know in deep down that we know we're dust and we're going to die. And it's nice to hear someone else say it and acknowledge that. I remember Fulton Sheen once saying that there were um when you see a lot of these horror films and that it's basically the the internal feeling of guilt and the way like a culture lets that out so i wonder if there's just that sense of guilt that people have they always blame us catholics for being guilty you know always feeling guilty but i wonder if that's just something there that it's in our we understand that something is off something is wrong and that's a reminder that yeah we we screwed up that's a good point and even though we're into lent if if you have forgot and haven't started or done what you want to do it's never too late to start so don't think like well a week's gone by why bother this Lent?" and you'll be hearing this by the second sunday of lent and that's still not too late never too late to jump on board and start doing some penance. why don't we answer the question of why do we do penance during lent I get this. I get this say? question from my children frequently. That, well, why would God want me to not have chocolate? Or, and what do you tell them? 
Well, I tell them it's because we're sacrificing, we're showing God that we love him more than the things of this world. But I'm curious what and you guys... How, do they accept that? Is that they do. Satisfies yeah. them? They do. I think it's deeper, though, isn't it, Miller? What do you, what do you tell I them? actually usually use that, that pruning analogy, that we're cutting out the stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with him. It's kind of a season where we remember all of that stuff. We cut it out, and then we... Ideally, we go forward without bringing that stuff back in. But And uh, speaking of Father Simon's mission and sacrifice, he talked about love as sacrifice. Yes. And, uh, and so that He talked about the substitution yes. of the word love in Scripture and supplanting it with sacrifice. Right. So instead of God so loved the world, that it, God so sacrificed for the world. That he gave his only mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. But back to the question here about mm-hmm. how do you explain Lent here. I think, I think we're missing this here, the biggest thing. I think the church does this very well here. What was the reading in the first Sunday of Lent? Three temptations, wasn't it? Right. And what is Christ's teaching, or the church's teaching during Lent? You mean the three practices of yeah. fasting, penin- or prayer and almsgiving? Yeah. Well, so what's the, what's the connection there? Help us. Come on. What do you see? It ties to the temptations. Yeah. Yeah. You, d- you don't do that they with the children? Bread. I haven't. You just taught me this a week ago over coffee, so. Oh. Oh, you <laughs> teach us all, Tom. <laughs> well, so the first temptation is uh, look at these stones, turn them to bread, uh, because he's hungry after 40 days. He hasn't eaten. And so the church teaches us fasting here. Man does not live on bread alone. The second temptation is... Uh, uh, look out over the uh, horizon, and I will give you all these uh, kingdoms if you bow down before me. And uh, Christ responds, uh, this is, uh, you shall love the Lord your God solely, no strange gods before you. So this is, this is uh, uh, prayer, fasting. Uh, so this, uh, this is uh, almsgiving here to detach from the world and the uh, looking at the riches of the kingdom. And then the third temptation is what? To throw yourself down from this high place and the, his angels will, will rescue you. And, and uh, well, that's, you know, don't tempt your, the Lord your God. Uh, and, and that's the prayer. The prayer. prayer fasting. So the three tenets, teachings of, of the church, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, tie directly to that uh, scripture reading in the first Sunday of Lent. Hmm. You know, I heard a homily this weekend. I thought it was interesting because the priest said there was nobody there when that happened. Unlike the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John all witnessed it, right? Like eyewitnesses to it. So the only way we know about this, that the um, gospel writer knew about this, was because Jesus must have told them. Sure. And I thought that's a really good point. He must have said, here is where Satan is going to tempt you. Here's where he tempted me, and here's how you answer him. You bring the word of God in, right? Every time uh, he was tempted, he came back with scripture. But I thought that's an interesting point, the fact that Jesus must have told his apostles about that encounter. I never thought about that before. I love the last line, though, and I just pulled up the, the lectionary. It was... We're in Luke's cycle this year. And so Jesus says to him in reply, it also says you should not put the Lord your God to the test. 
But here's the kicker. This is, this is, when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Or as they say on the tube, stay tuned. We'll be back. We'll be back with more of that here. So it was, was not the final temptation mm-hmm. of Christ. But I, I love, too, the way it's phrased, if you are the Son of God. You know, um, Satan didn't know. He didn't know for sure. Didn't know for sure. That came out nice in the Passion of the Christ movie. He's like, who are you? You know, Satan was asking the Christ, who are you? Yeah. I can tell you're a good man, but mm-hmm. yeah. tell him the lure what? story. The who? The lure story. That The lure? Oh, the, yeah, yeah the, uh, and I'm trying to get the exact words from, uh, Father Ricardo here. By the way, anybody, we've got dozens of calls and inquiries about Father Ricardo's talk. It's been edited. It's on the website. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hear the February 25th John Ricardo presentation, go to kcrd-fm.org. But Ricardo does a beautiful job of talking about why Christ came, and it was to destroy sin and death. Uh, not to build a delicatessen and uh, feed the poor, but to destroy sin and death. And that on the cross was the, uh, and, and I got to get, he calls it a provocateur, saboteur, or uh, uh, that's not the right word, Brad, uh, but that it was his humanity that was the, the, the lure on the, the, the bait on the, the hook and his divinity was the uh, the hook itself uh, waiting for uh, Satan to take the big the big bite because uh, and he did bite hard didn't he yes he did yeah. uh, that deserves longer than a thirty second explanation Colleen but uh, um, I like that there, we're going to have to pull that up right? I think it's in uh, Mere Christianity where C S Lewis I think it's that it's one of C S Lewis's works but where he talks about Jesus establishing a beachhead. Um, in the world, in the world that he created, um, mm-hmm. on the cross, and I like that that imagery of he's coming in to do battle and he's going to win. He's the rightful king. He is um, the rightful king. One of the things that struck me about that whole talk that Ricardo said was that the enemy of Satan isn't Jesus. And I thought, what? Of course it is. Then he said, the enemy of Satan is is um, Saint Michael. Mm-hmm. Right? Because mm-hmm. God doesn't have an enemy god right. is all powerful you know it'd be like saying to an ant bread you're that ant's enemy it's like no i can crush that ant with one little stomp right but it really made me think that's right god is god he is all powerful satan is no match for god his enemy is saint michael fights yeah i like that there's only one reason jesus was on the cross and that's because jesus wanted to be on the cross mm-hmm. right yeah that was a good talk. So see that at kcrd-fm.org. Take a listen to it. Share it with, uh, uh, and Father Ricardo says this to me here, Tom, make sure the priests of the three dioceses around Dubuque uh, get a listen to that here, which is part of the reason why we recorded it and we have it. It is really directed toward priests. Uh, did he say that at the beginning of the talk, that it, this is normally a talk that he gives to yeah. bishops and priests? Yeah. It's part of Acts 29. That's his mission is to uh, go on out and write the 29th uh, chapter of uh, of Acts. It's the Christian life, living the Christian life. Exactly. Right. 
What else do we got? We got a quick one here before the break? Well, we do have a, a quick thing here that uh, Brad Miller brought in, some article here about, speaking of Lent. Miller, you're on. What do you got? Should Catholics consume artificial meat on abstinence days? What the heck is artificial meat? Ask Ask Bill Gates, right? So you Gates? get used to the taste. Is it like a, a to tofu burger? Some kind of vegetable, I don't know. So what are they showing us, the Impossible Whopper here? Is it a worm yep. burger? I mean, what really, what's it made out of? I don't even know. No, they won't knows. tell you. They won't and tell they you. And they won't tell you. Come on. It's probably bugs. They they all they, these new world yeah. order people want us to eat bugs. So, so my f- son comes and he starts telling me he went to, uh, you know, a bagel place or whatever to uh, get a breakfast and he ordered something that looked good. <laughs> Young woman whom he knew said, "Ben, you don't want that. Why not? Looks good. It's not real." And then. So he shares that story. He comes back two days later. Guess who else is into this uh, but the colonel? No. You can, get, you can get a bucket of chicken that was grown in a laboratory. No. Do they market that way? Or would you accidentally order a bucket of fake chicken? You know, a while ago they used to have this. Uh, the, was it the Iowa farmers or whatever? But if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't milk, you couldn't call it milk. Oh. And if it wasn't butter, you couldn't. It, it, they even said it's not butter. I can't believe it's not butter. Can't believe it's not butter. So they did that. I can't. Which is closer to plastic than butter. Yes. That is exactly. true. <laughs> that is true. We're at the end of the first segment of episode 33 of the Chatter. We'll be right back after these messages. We're back. This is FM 98.3 KCRD, and on the mobile app, you can hear the the podcast, the Chatter Podcast. This is the 33rd episode recorded on the first Monday in March, first first uh, Monday in the first week of uh, Lent. I guess there is only one Monday in the first week of Lent here. You knew that. Brad Miller's with us. Brad Markham is here. Brad's going to wind up here. He looks awfully sedate today, doesn't he, Colleen? Which Brad? Mil- uh, Markham. Trying to get used to this fasting. He looks kind of weak. Yeah. All he because looks, you haven't had one of them. I haven't had my frappuccino with. Yeah. Uh, milk it's from calves and it's just in, a vanilla latte. I mean, I, I poured oh, some Red Bull in his water. He'll be with us shortly. <laughs> it's milk, coffee, and sugar. But for some reason, it's boy, a, oh boy. it's a wimp's drink. So. Do we have to put up with this for forty days, Colleen. <laughs> his wife does. Yeah. We we don't. All right. So in the last segment. We uh, asked but didn't answer the question, Brad Miller. Go for it. Yeah, so the, uh, the short answer is yes, you can, because it's Tell the listeners, because they just oh, tuned in the here. Question. What was the question? The question was, should Catholics consume artificial meat on abstinence days? So, yeah, the short answer is yes, you can. The long answer is there's a little more to it. Um, historically, the when meat was more of a kind of a specialty didn't have it very often therefore it was expensive the idea was that you would eat something in the in the place of it and the money you would give as alms the money and the difference between whatever the meat was and what you would eat otherwise sure so now that meat is fairly common um that doesn't actually play in but you should still keep that in mind 
Of course, with the price of beef at $35 for a uh, beef tenderloin I saw the other day here, mm-hmm. it might be a penance just to uh, purchase it and consume it on Friday here, if your theology is correct. You know, well, and some people think, you know, so then I have to eat fish. But that's not what the law of the church says. It's not the same thing to say you can't eat meat and you have to eat that's fish. That's the theology it's not of the bingo. the same thing. Bingo. Well, yeah. It's... Who plays bingo other than Catholics? Yes. And who has fish fries other than Catholics? I don't know. So it's it's part of the culture that is Catholic bread. Well, the way I heard this came down was that when the papal bull came out, when they said no meat on Fridays, and I think this was back in the Middle Ages, it's been a while since I've read anything about it, but the bull said carne in Latin, which um, does not include fish. So it was sort of a workaround that the laity figured out that fish does not fall under it's not a carne it's not a carne so it's a piece i from the article in uh, 17th century quebec catholics could consume beaver on fridays so there's that where is that from (laughs) where did you pull that out of no i've had rabbit that would be meat right squirrel that would be meat yep beaver Maybe it doesn't taste very good or something. Likely because the animal's habitat was considered dispositive for classification purposes. Because they were in the water? Sure, sure. It's just interesting. I have heard also that the theological reason is that meat is closer to our likeness, and that's Mm why uh, they've... Than fish, you know, fish are not as close to us, so... Mm. Mm. And, of course, all the um, conspiracy theorists of the early church, I'm sure, thought it was because the church had stock in fish <laughs> markets, and yep. they just wanted to yes, the send famous. business to the fishermen. It was the Pope's friend. <clears throat> I think that's yes. what I read. The Pope had a friend. that The famous the, Medici yes. fish market, huh? Yes, that that's the why. Well, you know, you'd just be helping St. Peter, right? I mean, he They're was a fisherman, so... Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> James and uh, Zebedee's son, Zebedee's here. That would be a great marketing tool, wouldn't it, here? Oh, to it just would go be. on into the uh, frozen food aisle there and, and see Zebedee's fish. <laughs> <laughs> Filleted by John. Yeah, that's right. If yeah. anybody's thinking of opening a fish business, there's your name. Shouldn't have said that out loud on the uh, deal here. We we might have been able to leverage that here. <laughs> I think these fake burgers are probably penance enough. So I'm, you know, yeah. if you're eating that, it's you know. And I will confess right here on the air that for 20 years I did not eat meat. I was a vegetarian, for, and I would eat the Boca burgers, right? The tofu burgers. A lot of times they're made with the, you know, ground nuts or something. I liked them. Ew. But what I've seen about this fake meat. Is that's not even it. It's grown in a lab. It's not even a plant-based food. Yeah. Bill Gates is pushing it, and he wants... You'll get used to the taste. You'll get used to the taste, and he's... I don't know if he's he's part of the group that wants to reduce our population, so... To 500 million from 7.8 billion. Is that a quote from him? You'll get I, used to the taste? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, there's a marketing sentence, isn't that? Yeah. What's the part of the World Economic Forum where they... By by 2030, like meat will become like a once a month thing, mm-hmm. and that's where this introducing it into the restaurants. You know, they've they've got the corporations, so they're they're just trying to slowly tick that up. You know, turn the dial up on that. The Colonel's Eleven Herbs and Spices. What would we do that? I'm going to throw this out though for us. So so we're talking about all the 
in fact, I can't believe this is a first in broadcast history. We've talked about Catholics eating beaver. What di- diocese was that, Miller? Here, I, I just said it was in Quebec. In Quebec. Up well, Canada, all right. So. Well, that that explains it right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to ask cold, this. Cold winter. Let me ask this question here. If if the uh, intention is to do something fasting and abstaining from meat, and there exists this uh, Bill Gates' invention in a test tube that that is the impossible burger now, is there a violation of conscience and intent by eating a Whopper that tastes like the impossible Whopper? There, if if you could get over. And I can't. If you could get over eating it, and, it, and it's purportedly to taste like a Whopper, is there any sacrifice? I would say no, probably not. And so is there a violation of that. conscience? Is there a... Consult your parish priest or confessor. I mean, that'll be the next thing here. For your penance, my son, eat an impossible Whopper. <laughs> Why did you put that out there? <laughs> I really hope my confessor never hears us. <laughs> Is that Brad? I'm going to make him eat some fake meat. <laughs> I quit. You, you, I'm out. <laughs> you, do, you do have the right of first refusal with yeah. respect to uh, penance, don't you? All right, let's move on from this before uh, oh my. We, we've touched it all. Bill Gates in a test tube and Canadians, the Canucks, eating beaver. You know, something that I haven't seen lately, but maybe it's going on. For a while, it was popular during Lent to remove the holy water fonts. In churches, are they mm. still? Are churches still doing that? I hope not. Or fill them with sand. Or fill them with sand. Or ashes. Now I know they removed holy water during COVID, because who knows why? Super, well, it was because oh, no, yeah, there were COVIDs swimming in the font. You saw COVID there, did you? Uh, sure. Yeah. They should, Brad, they should have vaccinated. Markham, you can't nod your head. I know, you I can't know. nod your head. This is radio. You know here. what's going through my head? Is Would one you... of the parishioners at our church did not like that, so he kept uh, taking his own holy water from home and filling them up. <laughs> was that you? No, it was not me. How I much Red Bull did you it. give him? <laughs> not enough. Not enough. Didn't kick in yet. I was thinking as you guys were talking, though, since we're on the topic of Lent, this is kind of a surprise one, but I read just recently do you guys know where the pretzel came from yeah i just read that myself go ahead it's worth a second try so the pretzel uh in the early i want to say it was in the fourth fifth century uh christians used to pray by crossing their arms so during lent it was a practice of parents to bake the the bread in the shape of a pretzel to remind their kids of the time of prayer the Mr. Pretzel kind of pretzel, not the pretzel rods, not right. the pretzel the bread, sticks, the bread not type. the pretzel rings. No. And the bread was simply flour and water because of what they were fasting from. Yep, and they yeah, fasted from, I mean, no eggs, no meat, no, I don't know. I no lattes. All, it was like basically all they could eat was bread. Yeah. Yeah, we know a family up up, up north that uh, does that fast. They've done two or three years now, and by the end of Lent, there's not much left of them. Really? Wow. They're ju- They're just eating? Yeah, they're Brett, follow, they're following it? that old one. Wow. Was it called the Black Fast? I don't know. I think so. Probably because your yeah. fingers would turn black. Well, no dairy, where, no eggs, no meat. And that's where the Easter egg actually came from, was that, oh, we can eat eggs again, so we've got eggs out in the morning. Yeah, but mm. the idea of going 40 days with no animal products, I mean, 
skip the meat. I mean, no eggs, no scrambled eggs and bacon. I'm just thinking of the hen coop here now with 40 days stockpile of eggs since nobody was doing anything. (laughs) But no cream in your coffee, no butter on your toast. Wow, that's hard. I think the food opportunities are probably more grandiose for for us. So there'd be way more temptation, you know, so that might be part of it, but it still is absolutely challenging. I don't think I could ever do it. A lot of vegetables probably, right? Roasted red peppers or something. Beans, you could have beans, I would Mm. think. But still, 40 days. That's a long time. What were the monks that did just beer for 40 days? They they so. made it very chewy. Red Bull's kicking in. A... Chewy beer. <laughs> <laughs> we knew he'd wake up sooner or later. All right. We're on to beer. Sweet. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what other headlines you got here, Colleen? Uh, the only other one that I had about Lent was our favorite archbishop, uh, Carlo Maria Vigano. Uh, he had a Lenten message for the world, and it basically says um, that God's wrath can only be appeased by contrition and penance. So that's a nice focus for Lent, right? Contrition and penance. Um, And then he says, Come and be converted to me, says the Lord. Come weeping, let us shed tears to God, because we have transgressed. And because of us, the earth suffers. We have committed iniquity, and because of us, its foundations have been shaken. So I don't remember if any local bishops have given a Lenten message. No, I haven't seen any? anything. I don't think so. No. I haven't seen anything. So we'll go with this one. And he and speaking of Vigano, and none of us have had a chance to wade through it here, but what does he have? A uh, a letter that's the size of a small paperback? Or how many as pages long. is this? Twenty four pages. I read through it but fast, so I don't you know, yeah. I can't comment with any authority on it, but it it's basically a very high-level view, and you can tell why he was a nuncio, because it reads like a, a foreign ambassador that knows the region. Right, Amazing. so it's it's on Russia-Ukraine. It's not on Lent, so we've kind of pivoted here, which is fine, but for our listeners, we're not, we're not talking about Lent anymore. We're talking about Vigano and his other document on the Russia-Ukraine crisis. So he weighed in on that. And if I can give you a summary, it's basically we just spent, now this is going to way, way, way dumbed down version of and summary, but we just spent two years being lied to by the mainstream media. We're probably being lied to again. And then he goes into the details of what's actually gone on in Ukraine, who the president is, the all the, you know, the civil war that's basically been brewing there and who the real drivers behind it are. And guess who he arrives at? World Economic Forum, Schwab, Bill Gates. They're all driving towards the same end here. George Soros Open Society. So you do have to wonder what's going on. All you hear, I mean, you don't hear anything about COVID anymore. It has been replaced by the latest crisis, you know, between Russia and Ukraine. But for 25 years, at least, we know that the media has been biased. We've seen that for, for a while. But the last two years, it's been not just um, biased. It's been propaganda. Wow. Yeah. And now we're supposed to believe they're telling the truth. So I'm not saying I'm in favor of Putin or Russia. It's probably two bad guys against, you know, one another. But it, I just I just can't flip a switch and say, oh, whatever the media tell, is telling me now is true. And the way Vigano says it is that the NATO and those, again, they're tied into the World Economic Forum. They are, they baited Russia into this because it, it achieves ends that they're after. Fascinating. Uh, 
we'll have to get that. Uh, is that in a PDF we can post to the website here? Because mm-hmm. it, 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 it's 24 pages. Yeah, it's pretty long. And he does go into a lot of factors. NATO, the pipeline, Burisma. He he talks about a lot of stuff. Very detailed and cited. So you just touched on something, Colleen, that a listener uh, got a hold of us over the weekend on. And I'll summarize the conversation because it was was a a while. uh, But his, his comment was something to this, that having grown up in America with the illusion that he thought was a free press and a uh, unbiased delivery and that those poor people in the Soviet Union who were um, laboring under the propaganda of the Politburo and and uh, TASS and uh, Pravda. Pravda thank you Which that means was the other truth right Pravda means mm-hmm. truth and of course, what was going on in in uh, the uh, People's Republic of China and the control on on that? He says uh, he he's coming to the realization that he, as an American, has been propagandized his entire life because you just said the media for what did you say twenty five years has been uh, off kilter here. Yeah. Well, and we've known the bias, but I, but I think they've moved past bias. I think they've moved into propaganda. So I read somewhere that in 2014, Obama pulled out some little-known law that you couldn't use psychological tactics, you know, propaganda on the American people. So in the last seven Pulled years, out? What do you mean, pulled out? Removed, got rid of some law that said you couldn't do that. You know, I don't know if it was by mm. executive order or... Mm. I'd have to look more in the details. It was a headline I read somewhere... Mm. A, a while back but but you know there's so many people that are connected so speaking of propaganda and the news and all that do you know the father of advertising modern day advertising Bernays was his last name and he I was thought he had a sauce a Bernays sauce <laughs> <laughs> um, his name is Bernays and he's the father of modern advertising and his uncle is Sigmund Freud oh uh. baby you just hear about well, these connections and you kind of wonder this ties right into a headline that I found this week where the U.S. government was paid one, or paid $1 billion in U.S. taxpayer dollars to the mainstream media for promoting the COVID narrative. Which, wait, which COVID narrative? Yeah, run that back. The one, the 15 days to flatten the curve COVID narrative? All of it, the... to take the vaccine, do the, wear the mask, all of it. They were paid $1 billion. So all these news... Who is they was paid? Mainstream media. So Fox News, CNN... MSNBC, CBS, ABC, NBC, all of them. Well, and and about six or eight people own all the media. Right. So they just got. So it's very interesting to me too because I've I've unplugged because I figured that out in the last two years that they're doing this, and to see how quickly people can turn on a dime with whatever narratives they're pushing. You know, this all this Ukraine, we got to go in there and you know they're all heroes and. Like you said, we don't know who. It's probably two bad actors, but at the same time, it's it's frightening how quickly people are driven into these, uh, following these narratives. Yeah, and if there's one thing that I think most of us would agree on in this country is we should not get involved. Right. I think it's it kind of feels like a trap right. to pull America in somehow. Right. And it's always it goes back to that's a rich man's game, and the poor man goes and dies for it. Right. So no, exactly. I, I you know I've had that thought with my children 
and they're not close to a draftable age yet, but nope, it ain't happening. I'm not, I love this country. I love where I live. I love what, how it was found, you know, the founding. I don't love the deep staters that are running things right now, and I'm not going to send them to die in some foreign country for their political tools. You're listening to the chatter. We need to take a break before we go to segment three. Brad Miller, walk him back from the edge of the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. This is The Chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD and the podcast Chatter. People often ask, what's the format? Think about it. Colleen and I, we always thought we were sitting around having a cup of coffee. We didn't realize we were being recorded. We didn't realize we were being recorded. Uh, We're in Lent. Unfortunately, Brad Markham has given up coffee here. He's a, he's a beat behind, but that Red Bull you gave him, Miller, uh, perked him up here. We did walk him <laughs> away from, from uh, world tyranny and the uh, mainstream media. So there he is. We're back. What other headlines do we have? There, there's a lot going on that we haven't touched on that are, is just uh, craziness. There is so much. So I want to just bring up a little good news. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm- so um, last week, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed a bill that would prevent boys from playing in girls' sports. Did you ever think you were going to need to see a bill that said boys can't play in girls' sports? No. Not it a, shows not how insane we've become. It showed how insane. So um, everything that I could see on the Internet was, of course, um, people outraged over this because... Um, they say it's their transgender, so they're not really boys. They're girls, and they should be allowed to play in these sports. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that they are biologically boys, young men, mm-hmm. and it is not a fair playing field to um, to be in athletics and competing against women. What do they say out in Cascade? I was just thinking, about it, as you are talking about that, about somebody explaining the... Um the athletic advantages because the circulatory system is built differently because women's bodies have to carry babies. Therefore they're built differently. So men, their bodies, biological males, their bodies can, uh, I don't know what carry more oxygen, I guess in their blood. And therefore just by default, no matter what hormones you take, they're going to be able to have an advantage and you can't, you can't undo that. Wow. You know, I think it was at UPenn, wasn't it? University of Pennsylvania, where that one guy decided that uh, he was going to be a, a girl and swim on the girls' team, right? He was like number 47 in men's ranking swimming, and then he uh, joined the girls' team, and he's number one. Yeah. Oh, he had a year in between. Oh. A whole year. Oh, okay. Anyway, so the way the whole slant, of course, we've already talked about media, slant and bias, but, you know... Boys should not be playing in women's sports. And I am so proud that Reynolds signed that bill that can protect the girls of this state to be in their sports and and compete against one another. I agree. This is honestly a mockery of God and his designs and his creation. That's what's so aggravating Mm -hmm. to me about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got girls that participate in sports, right? Right. Utter tyranny. What else do we got going on? Well, that was my good story. Oh, yeah. 
It's still got Markham <laughs> on the edge here. <laughs> I'm always on the edge. Well, I think uh, he had uh, a story came up that reminded him uh, when I mentioned this transgender yeah, bill. Yeah, so Austrian bishop hangs banner of nude transsexual activists over the altar for Lent. What? Yeah. What? So we're going to have to do a visual on this, Miller. The Austrian, Central Europe, Austrian we're talking. bishop, yep. Bishop hangs a... Nude photo of what? A transsexual activist over the altar for Lent. Yeah. Did you guys see the uh, the picture? What that I said? did. I did. No. So it's not Thankfully, a. No. It's not a full frontal, but you can tell it's at least half of him. So you can tell he is without clothes. Yeah. Otherwise and, known as nude. Yes. And tattoos. He's got those and. But, I mean, it's larger than life. It's hanging from, imagine... The high altar. Right. And not a little high altar, you know, like... Replacing a felt banner, probably. You know, cathedral, I mean, is a beautiful church, but it's not the size of cathedrals in Austria that, you know, three stories tall inside to have this banner. You know, aren't we supposed to be focusing on Christ during the Mass? Well, this is, you know, how can we contain our outrage here? Right. The abomination of desolation has arrived in this church, in all of our church. And who is saying anything against it? I, I have not heard anybody. I heard the story, but... It hit on what? LifeSite? Maybe. I've seen it on a couple of Was it LifeSite that broke? But uh, did yeah. any of the Austrian bishops say anything? Did any of the European bishops say anything? Did the Pope say anything? Nobody. This is a huge scandal. Did any, did any parishioners go in there and take it out? I don't know that you could. I mean, I think it's like a three-story banner. Maybe Do they you have go any parishioners like a... anymore? That's the question. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> they don't have any. Are they getting government funding to survive? I mean... Like in Germany? Yeah. They all left for the Latin Mass. Yep. Oops. But, you know, there's all this horrible stuff, and, and <laughs> all the people that, that are supposed to be the gatekeepers and watching us and protecting over us, and there's They're beating not us. a peep. A well, if, our, if we're outraged, I'm going to uh, ask the question... How can the Blessed Trinity, what, what is their uh, outrage, their level of outrage? Yeah. I don't know, that meteor might, meteor might be coming. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. What else you got? Well, you know, we talked about Russia in the last segment. And one of the things, you know, we're still buying oil from Russia. So in, in, a, in a sense, we're kind of helping to fund that war. But we have a pipeline here, Right. We have mm. a pipeline here that they won't turn on. And I know people in Dubuque, they look at their gas prices. Well, they're going to see, uh, they're going to do a double take here pretty quick. I saw gas prices now have hit $4.11 in this country, which is a, a record. Um, I stopped at Makokoda, at the Casey's in Makokoda on the way back from Clinton last week. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to stop and, and get a little gas at Casey's in Makokoda. Four dollars and nineteen cents. I was gonna put in five bucks to get me back to the view, and I thought that won't even do it. Yeah, I filled my minivan up. I've never seen sixty-three dollars to fill a minivan. And that's that's almost double three or four years ago. I was filling it up for thirty-five bucks. And Dubuqueers look at gas prices. My dad could tell you the price of gas at, on every gas station. So you talk about the, the oil coming from Russia. It's 600,000 barrels a day. Okay. And that Keystone XL pipeline, when they shut it down, it was providing 800,000 barrels per day. 
So more than what we get from Russia. Right. So it's almost like this is by design again. Mm-hmm. And now now we're getting the outrage about Russia because what does that do? That gets us off fossil fuels. It destroys the energy that keeps the those of us that aren't millionaires warm at night. That was another story I saw. Pete Buttigieg, he wants everybody to buy an electric car. Then they won't have to worry about price of gas. Doesn't coal <laughs> make the electricity? Huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But and what does an electric car cost? Like fifty-five thousand dollars. Where's this guy come from? Here? I have no idea. But I I always thought we wanted to be energy independent. We were. Is that we not? were. Two years ago, we were the we were energy independent, and we were the largest exporter of crude oil in the world. So why don't we want that anymore? Well, we do want it. The people. We do want it. The real question is, is how long are we going to put up with the garbage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that some of the arguments against it was, well, it goes through, you know, national parks or whatever the argument was about this pipeline. But when you look at some pictures of the pipeline, it's it's not even as wide as a one a one lane road. Right. Right. You know, I thought, oh, my gosh, this thing must be huge. It must be as big as an eight-lane highway coming down. It's not. Go hug a tree. Climate, it's climate fear-mongering. And this is what happens when you have a godless culture. You will believe anything. Mm-hmm. And they're lying to us about this. The God made the earth robust. We, we, we have evidence of that. I mean, there was a time, you know, when the Industrial Revolution was going on and we had lakes catching on fire. And that's bad. That's really bad. We've looked at it, we figured it out, and we fixed it, and it's no longer a problem. Right. We can do that. And, the, you know, these... Is God a uh, God of scarcity or God of abundance? And the other fundamental principle they, they put behind that is that people don't have a right to this, but every other animal does. And we're, we are the kings of mm-hmm. creation and the queens of creation. And we are to be good stewards of it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying to, to destroy it. There we go. We're right. back talking about Canadian beavers again. <laughs> <laughs> and no meat meat. Yeah. What else do you got up there? No, I'm out of, I'm out of headlines. What do, you, do you guys have any more headlines? I did want to mention just that we are talking about this on Thomas Aquinas' feast day, and I couldn't let that slide because he's one of my favorite saints, and obviously the patron of this radio station so well and the general public probably doesn't know you named the radio station everyone threw in a name of what they thought we should call this group and this organization and brad you threw in the name aquinas communications and we all voted for that to be the name well we had to don't you remember how long he pouted (laughs) i'm not going to be here if it's not aquinas (laughs) so yeah he he died on this day um, in 1275 so that's this is on the old calendar on the new calendar his day is january 28th so people you know for this guys like me that really like him i celebrate it both times but uh. which uh, we've told the story <clears throat> excuse me we've told the story amongst ourselves but not many people realize that yes it was january 28th in 2014 2014 on the eve Late in the evening, um, so it was close enough to be the eve of Aquinas's feast day, the commission, the Federal Communications Commission, granted the construction permit for the radio station. Hmm. That was one of those uh, gotcha moments that uh, said, well, I guess we're on the right path here. God's in charge. Yeah. The God wink, right? The they God, call those God, God winks. Yeah. So speaking of, speaking of Aquinas, um, throw a question out there, and if, I don't know if 
how many people listen to this, but if they want to reach out and let Tom know. Everybody's listening here. Do our seminarians learn Aquinas? You mean during seminary? That's a good question. I don't know. Do you do you know the answer? Or I do, do not. Oh. I'd like to know. They should. It was prescribed. I mean, Pius X. Yeah. Push that. Leo the Thirteenth. Mm. I think you'd be yeah. surprised by the answer. Mm. So they so, do. No, <laughs> they do. I, I don't think there's a lot of uh, uh, Aquinas being uh, being talked about or uh, taught in the seminaries. Certainly, certainly not the way it was a hundred years ago. So Aquinas would be the theology, right? Because they take philosophy and theology. Did Aquinas do any philosophy, or was he? Oh, no, just... he did a lot of philosophy, oh, but it did. was um, as the handmaid or the stepping stool to theology. Okay. So one of the ways they talk about it is natural theology. It's not revealed. It's not through the Bible. It's basically like from the first chapter of Romans where Paul says you can look around and know, you know, know things. And so that's what it, his, mm. his work was, was natural theology. Mm. Well, she looks like the uh, lioness ready to pounce here, Miller. She's got questions rolling here. I do, out of the Catholic Source book, one of my favorite books. It's got so. all the worthless trivia that you need to know. So, worthless? I can't believe she said worthless. Well, you should see some of these. But I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, since we talked about holy water earlier, one of the, our first questions is about holy water. What's holy water for? Who wants to take it? What do we use holy water for? Miller, you're up. I'm not good at explaining stuff like that. I mean, to, to bless things, to drive out demons. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Mark, what do you got? Terminology. I would say probably spiritual protection. Um, yeah. That's that, a... a that's kind of an odd question. What is it for? As you're saying, the, the well, purpose it's a, of holy it's water. a sacramental, not a sacrament, yeah. Yeah. but it is Correct. reminiscent of the sacrament of baptism. Correct. When we are um, um, sprinkled with it, uh, not as frequently as we might, but uh, certainly on Easter. When are the other uh, sprinklings? Uh, mm. Pentecost. Hmm, that's a good question. But certainly Easter. Certainly Easter. I know that one of the um, things that some people say is when they dip their fingers in the holy water and they make the sign of that cross on themselves, they say silently the prayer, by this holy water and by your precious blood, wash away my sins, O Lord. Mm-hmm. Do you all say anything when you are crossing yourself or just in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit? The basics? Yep, just the basics for me. Yeah, I think it depends on where. I mean, uh, when we used to go to Father Parker, he I think he at one point had kind of taught us that you do it for the souls in purgatory, too. So you sign yourself, and then you put a few drops down for the souls in purgatory. Oh, never heard that. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a nice one. It was, it was neat. So um, parents in the room, do you bless your children at night with holy water? Um, I do before I take them to school, not at night. So it's um, when they're getting out of the car. It's a good, good decision, yeah. given, given school right. nowadays. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> just I bless you in the name of the Father. You know, I make the sign of the cross on their forehead and just bless you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. May his holy angels watch over you today. There we go. That's, that is so nice. 
And if you forget, do they remind you? Uh, some of them are getting older where they're, they're like, okay, Dad, you know, but <laughs> um, trying to think. They don't really. We're usually in such a rush that it's really quick. But Do you throw it around the house fairly often? We do uh, that. Occasionally. We've had our house blessed, and it was hilarious the last time Father John was over there blessing <laughs> uh, Colby, my little wild four-year-old. You know, it was just being nor- his normal self. So he got he got a bath in holy water because every room he was in, Father John was just dousing him with it. And then then it was a fun game. You know, he had to go with him everywhere he went. So <laughs> it was pretty funny. That's a good point. Have you guys all had your houses blessed? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And the station, and the transmitter, and good. all of that here. Yeah. Good. Good. We really should bless everything. Cars. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you ever drink holy water? I don't. Not that I'm aware of. We'll no. put it in. We'll put it in uh, the water when we're cooking food. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Same with blessed salt. Yep. I'll do that sometimes. Yeah. So I, I'm sad that they take it out of the churches on um, during Lent. Well, I haven't so, seen it out yet here, but. So what was the official answer? Did we get it right? Yes. Yeah, so holy water is used for baptizing. So Tom mentioned that, and to recall it, which mm-hmm. you guys mentioned. And it symbolizes exterior and interior purity, right, to wash stuff. And it's blessed in solemn ritual during the Easter Vigil, right? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And then it's in fonts at church doorways and in homes used for coming and going to bless yourself, sometimes sprinkled on individuals. Brad, you hit that one. Assemblies, objects as part of a blessing. Um so that's what the Catholic source books. Well, and just not on uh, Easter, but isn't there a great tradition of um, Epiphany, holy oh, yeah. water? Epiphany water is supposed to carry a more um, exorcism prayers with it. It is like the nuclear bomb of holy water. We, my first traditional Epiphany we're back, we're mass that I went to, <laughs> the first Epiphany mass that I went to, uh, traditional, they get up there and they pray. I mean. Father was singing for probably 35 minutes, blessing the water. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys afterwards said to me, he's like, yeah, I'm pretty traditional, but that one got pretty long for me. <laughs> you know? But you know you got some powerful water there. When, when yeah, they're doing it's it. so powerful, it's got a special name, right? It's Epiphany Water. Yep. It's yep. not even called Holy Water, it's called Epiphany Water. And I think they um, uh, bless the salt first, Yep. right, and put that in, but... That's why I kept thinking that, because we have bottles of, our the water we have is Epiphany water, and they've all got the salt sprinkled in them, you know, and you're saying drink them, I'm like, salt water, <laughs> no thanks, you know. Well, you've successfully exhausted the third segment, Colleen, here. There you go. You've got, you've got but one question in here. You're listening to The Chatter, Brad Miller, our guest here. Brad, thanks for coming in here. We yeah. need to get the rest of the family over here soon. Yes, we do. And Brad Markham. Good to have you back in here. Thank You're you. off on a travel, safe travels with you. Yeah, thank you. And Colleen Pasnick, our host. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Glory be to the, to the Father, and, and to the Son, and, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit. as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. This is the podcast called The Chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD.